I invite you to turn your Bibles now to the book of Romans, chapter 10, and we'll be looking this morning at Romans 10, verses 11 through 15. Romans 10, verses 11 through 15. Now, if the most expensive thing that you ever wore or owned was a gold ring that cost a few hundred dollars, or or maybe even a ring that had a small diamond in it that cost a bit more, how would you feel if someone handed to you a necklace that glittered with diamonds from one end to the other? And not, not the little bitty ones, big ones. A whole necklace full of diamonds. Wouldn't you feel like you had a priceless treasure? I mean, you might not even want to wear it because you'd be afraid that you'd lose it or break it or somebody would want to take it. Now imagine that you are so rich that you have one of those diamond necklaces for every day of the week. Your least favorite one is stuck in a drawer somewhere. You've got one that just sort of lays on top of the dresser most of the time. You don't wear it very often. It's just there as a backup in case you need it. You no longer tremble at the thought of wearing such an expensive necklace. After all, if you lose one or break one, you've got six more that could take its place. We have such a precious, priceless treasure, but we rarely tremble at possessing something so priceless. Psalm 19 says of God's words, More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold. Many of us have a Bible for each member of the family, or two, or three. We have one on the nightstand, one in the truck, one you take to church, one you inherited from your great-grandpa that you keep on a shelf so it doesn't fall apart, one you had when you were a kid that your parents gave you, maybe your first Bible. We have multiple, multiple copies of Scripture. And that's a blessing. That's not something we should feel bad about, feel guilty about. That is a blessing. But all that easy access to the Bible means that we often forget not only what a treasure we possess in having our very own copy of God's Word, something many Christians throughout history did not have. They had to go to church to hear the Scripture read because They didn't have enough money to buy their own copy of Scripture. But even today, we forget that many people don't have a Bible, have never heard what the Bible says, have never heard the good news of the Gospel. I mentioned last week a doctrine we call the clarity of Scripture, that the main message of the Bible is fundamentally clear. There are some Difficult passages in the Bible, but the basic message of Scripture, especially about Jesus' death and resurrection and the promise of forgiveness of sins to everybody who turns in their sin and trusts in Jesus, that's really, really simple, right? We explain it to our children, uh, we read those stories and and truths to our children, and, and they can understand them. The basic message of the Bible is clear. There's another doctrine I want to mention this morning that goes with our text in Romans chapter 10. It's what at least one theologian calls the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. Paul said back in the beginning of Romans, in chapter 1, he said that God has revealed Himself 
in creation, ever since the beginning of the world, in the things that have been made, he has made known to the world what Paul calls his uh, invisible attributes, his divine power. Right? The, the fact that God exists, in other words, is clear to everyone who can walk outside and, and look at the trees or look at the sky or look at the heavens at night. God has made clear to all creation, to everyone, that He exists. So Paul says, nobody has an excuse for their sin. Nobody can uh, appear before God on the last day and say, I'm, it's not my fault that I didn't worship you, that I didn't honor you, that I didn't give you thanks because I didn't know you were there. Paul says nobody can say that. Nobody can make that excuse. Everyone knows that there is a God. But how do we respond to that knowledge that there is a God? Paul says we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We, have, uh, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, our response naturally to the existence of God is not worship, honor, and praise, but is sin, is rebellion, is idolatry. So we're all in trouble. Right? If that's where we were left, we'd all be in trouble. What we need then is to know about the gospel, the way that God has made for us to be saved, to have our sins forgiven, and to be made right with God. Now, the bad news is that message is not written in the heavens. You can look up at the sky and see that God exists, but you can't look up at the sky and know that God sent His Son to die for sinners and rise so that they could have eternal salvation. In order to know those truths, we have to have the Bible, or at least encounter somebody who's heard what the Bible says so that they can tell it to us. That is where the necessity of Scripture comes in. All of us are without excuse for our sin before God because He's revealed Himself in creation, but only in Scripture has He revealed the way to be saved. And that is why, one of the reasons why, we should be so grateful that we have the Bible and have heard the Bible and get to regularly gather to hear the Bible, but also why we should be eager to make sure the message of the Bible gets to those who haven't heard it. Because without hearing the gospel, there is no way for them to be saved. This is what drove the Apostle Paul. If you read his story in Acts or the little snippets of his story that he gives us in his letters, he went from city to city and risked arrest, imprisonment, beatings, shipwrecks, and all the rest, time and time and time again. Why? Because he knew that if people did not hear the message that he carried, they would be lost and ultimately condemned. So he wanted them to hear. And he wants us to share the drive that he had to make sure that others hear the gospel as well. So here's how he says it in Romans 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. He says, For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, we saw last time at the end of of, uh, our text last week in verses 9 and 10, those wonderful verses that many of us have memorized that tell us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead, then we will be saved. We will be justified. We'll have our sins forgiven and we'll be counted righteous in Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And now Paul says in verse 11, that good news is for everyone. This is a point he has been making over and over throughout the book of Romans. He says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Or to put that positively, uh, one teacher says it this way. He says, those who put their faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord will be vindicated by God on the last, on the day of judgment. So not only will we not be put to shame, but positively what that means is we will be Vindicated, Our faith will be vindicated. We will um, not show up on the last day and be disappointed or, or find out that uh, our sins are still being held against us or anything like that. But if we have trusted in Christ, then when we appear before the Lord on the last day, we will be vindicated. There will be no condemnation for us. And Paul says that is true for everyone who believes. And this is not new. Paul tells us he's citing scripture when he says this. It's the same thing he cited back at the end of chapter 9 and verse 33. We could go back even further and say this is what the Bible says about Abraham. In Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul made that very clear uh, back in Romans chapter 4, that that's the same message he's preaching. What God did for Abraham is what he is doing now for us through Jesus, the Messiah. So everyone who believes will not be put to shame. For, he says in verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So he picks up that little word, everyone. And says, when I say everyone, I mean everyone. This is not just a message for Jews. This is also for Gentiles, for everybody else. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or what your background is, or who your family is, or anything like that. If you believe, you will be saved. If you confess, you will be justified. There's no distinction, no difference between Jew and Greek on this point, because there's one Lord, and that's Jesus. And the one Lord is Lord of all, and he bestows his riches on all who call on him. In other words, his love and mercy and forgiveness and grace, he pours those out on all who call on on him, regardless of whether they are Jew or Greek. And then he gives us one more passage of scripture in verse 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a tremendous promise. Because often um, when people hear the gospel and begin to be drawn to Jesus, one of the things they wonder is, 
can that be true for me? Can that really mean me? Because I know what I've done. I know what kind of person I am. I'm not sure that God wants anything to do with somebody like me. But a verse like this reminds us that no one is left out from the invitation. Everyone is invited to believe and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that is a quote from the Old Testament as well. And it's a quote from a passage you're probably familiar with, even if you don't immediately recognize it. It comes from the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. And one of the things we've seen uh, throughout the book of Romans is Paul is laboring to make clear that the gospel he is preaching is not something he has come up with. It's not something he has invented. He didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what? Let's forget all that Jew-Gentile stuff. Let's just, let's just act like God loves everybody. He, he didn't come up with that. And so he shows us all through the book of Romans that the gospel he's preaching of salvation by grace through faith in Christ for all who believe, Jew and Gentile, that comes out of the Old Testament scriptures. And the Jews who didn't recognize that that was God's plan, it was not because they hadn't been told, but because they hadn't understood. So it's significant whenever he makes a point like this, that salvation is for all who believe, Jew or Greek, it's significant to see how he quotes the Old Testament and what that quote he's using actually says and where it comes from. So he's quoting from Joel chapter 2. Again, I think when I start reading this, you'll recognize it. And I want you to listen and see, does Joel say that this great act of salvation that God is promising in the Old Testament, that has now come to pass in the New Testament, does he say this is for everyone? Or is Paul putting words in Joel's mouth? Let's see what Joel says. I was starting in verse 26 of Joel 2. He says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. There it is again. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Do you recognize that passage? That's the passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples and they're preaching the good news and people from uh, all over the world are hearing the uh, disciples speak about God in their own native languages. People from all over the Roman Empire saying, how is it that these Galilean guys 
are speaking our languages, or, or we're hearing them speak in our languages. How is that possible? And Peter quotes this passage of Scripture from Joel, and he says, what you are hearing is the fulfillment of what Joel said, that God would pour out His Spirit one day on all flesh. It wouldn't be, his spirit wouldn't be limited to just the, just the king or the prophet or a particular person at a particular point in time, but that all his people would have the spirit of God poured out upon him. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in that day shall be saved. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people turned to Jesus and believed. But is Joel saying that this is going to happen not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. He does say, I'll pour out my spirit on uh, your your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and so on. You could maybe argue that that's still talking about Israel only, if it weren't for the very first part of verse 28, where it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not just on the Jews, not just on Israel, but on all flesh. In other words, I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. All kinds of people from all kinds of places will receive the gift of the spirit, which is a part of the new covenant promise. Remember Ezekiel said that uh, in the new covenant, God would remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and he would put His Spirit within us. So when Paul quotes that passage from Joel 2, he's saying, look, what I'm saying is simply that what Joel prophesied has now come to pass. I'm not inventing a new doctrine where God saves Gentiles as well as Jews. I'm saying the coming of the Messiah has happened. The gift of the Spirit has been poured out. God has shown to us that now is the day when He will save people from all walks of life, from all uh, people groups and nationalities, from all over the world. This is for everyone. That's really good news. But, people have to hear that good news. Right? That's what Paul says next, verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? That's really tempting, in one sense, to stop at verse 13 and, and just, just say, hey, this is great news. God saves all kinds of people, and if they call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. That's great. Paul says we can't stop there. Because as good as that news is, how is somebody going to call on the name of the Lord if they don't believe in Him? Right? You, can't, you can't call on Jesus to save you unless you believe that there is a Savior named Jesus. Right? Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. You you can't even draw near to God. You can't even earnestly seek God unless you believe that there is a God. So how can you call on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation 
if you have not yet believed in Jesus. Believe that there is a Jesus who is Lord, who can save you. You can't. And how are they to believe, Paul says, in Him of whom they have never heard? You can't believe in somebody no one's ever told you about. You may have heard um, you know, missionary stories where, uh, where somebody, or even stories from evangelists where somebody says um, you know, to, to somebody they meet, do you believe in Jesus? And I say, well, who is he? Who's that? I don't know if I believe in him. I never heard of him. Right? You can't believe in Jesus unless you have heard of Jesus. So in order to call on Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus. But to believe in Jesus, you have to hear about Jesus. And how are all these people going to hear about Jesus? Paul says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, when he says preaching, you don't have to think of you know, a pulpit inside of a building or something. This is telling, announcing, declaring. This could be in a conversation one-on-one, or it could be like Acts 17, Paul at Mars Hill, preaching to all the Athenians who've gathered there. And everything in between. This just means, how is somebody going to hear and believe and call on the Lord unless somebody tells them? Unless somebody explains to them? Unless somebody announces to them the good news about what God has done? And then he says, verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? How are you going to go tell people halfway around the world unless somebody sends you? And that doesn't just mean, you know, authorizing you and saying, go for it. You're going to have to have support. You're going to, you have to be sent uh, like a, like a you know, military is sent somewhere. You've got, to be, you've got to have a supply line. You've got to have support. You've got to have you know, backup. All the, you've got to have somebody uh, who's enabling you to go out and tell the people the good news. All right, so this is why we send out missionaries and church planters and evangelists and various uh, kinds of people to minister, not only uh, around Texas, but across the country and around the world. Because we know that there are still people all over the world who haven't yet heard the good news about Jesus. And if they haven't heard about Him, they can't believe in Him. And until they believe in Him, they can't call on Him. And until they call on Him, they can't be saved. So this is why we have the Reach Texas offering. This is why we have Lottie Moon Christmas offering. This is why we have the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That's part of how we send people. We give to those offerings so that those people can go out, whether it's to Laredo or to Seattle or to Beijing. We give so that they can go and they can have a place to live and they can have food and they can have all the things that they need in order to stay there, live there, and speak to the people and get to know them and build relationships and share the gospel and tell them about Christ. This is why a portion of every dollar you get to the church goes to the cooperative program. And what the cooperative program does is it uh, part of what you give to the part of what we give to the cooperative program is divvied up among the six seminaries that we support uh, so that Pastors and missionaries can be trained and equipped to go preach the gospel. 
Part of what we get to the cooperative program also goes to the International Mission Board and to the North American Mission Board. Part of it stays here in Texas. So that money can be used to send people out, to enable them to go and share the gospel. Now, we may not all be missionaries, like Paul, but we can all be involved in the work, and should all be involved in the work. Did you know that one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter to the Romans is because he had another missionary journey planned, and he was hoping that the church at Rome would send him, would provide for him so that he could go on another missionary journey. This is what he says in Romans 15, verse 24. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he says, I'm planning on coming to Rome, but as much as I would like to visit with you guys in Rome, I can't stay there because I have my eyes set on Spain, which is about as far west as anybody knew there was anything. Right? And he knew there were people in Spain who hadn't yet heard the gospel. And so he wanted to go on to Spain, but he knew he couldn't do that by himself. So he was hoping that the church in Rome would help him on his way. He wasn't expecting them all to pack up and come with him to Spain. He might have hoped that one or two would join him. But he knew the whole church couldn't pack up and go. But they could all be a part of of the labor and the, the commission right, of taking the gospel to Spain by supporting him as he went. And that's what we do whenever we uh, give to the church. That's whatever we do whenever we give to those special offerings throughout the year. That's what you do whenever you give to various uh, you know, Christian ministries that support uh, widows and orphans and the poor around the world and, and seek to share the gospel uh, with them as they do so. And there are people right here around us who've never really heard who don't really know the gospel, as strange as that may seem to us at times, that there could be people in Texas who have never heard about Jesus, really. There are. Now, last verse here for us to look at this morning is the second half of verse 15. Paul quotes another passage of Scripture. He says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He's quoting from Isaiah 52, where we read from earlier. And that passage as well announces good news to the nation of Israel. He says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. And what is it? What good news is it that this person announces? Who says to Zion, Your God reigns, which is the same thing Paul means when he says, Jesus is Lord. We get so used to that phrase, Jesus is Lord, we don't really stop to think about what it means. It means that Jesus has been exalted to God's right hand, where he is seated on his throne, ruling over all creation, and from there he will come back one day as King of kings and Lord of lords to assert his rightful rule over all the earth because he is the Lord of all. And that is good news for everyone who belongs to him. 
But it's only good news if you hear it in time. It's not good news for you if you hear it too late. We have the scriptures. We have the gospel. And that is a gift we should heartily give thanks for. It is a gift we should not take for granted. And it is also a gift we should not keep to ourselves. But we should continue to send out missionaries and preachers to announce the good news and to make known the gospel to all the people so that they can hear and believe and call upon the Lord and be saved. For it was true then and it's true now that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray.